We've been on a journey. We've been on a journey. You notice my stick is changing here. This was a gift. A gift. We've called this a wilderness journey. This time through Lent, we've tried to examine where we are and what we need, how we can be strengthened in our spiritual walks. We talked about challenge, talked about knowledge. Last week, Sean told you about dependence. And this week, we take the path of doubt. Doubt. Because all of us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we have our doubts. We have questions on our faith walks. Questions that some of which will remain unanswered until that day. But we journey ahead nonetheless. Today we find ourselves on a path of doubt and how to deal with that doubt in our lives. I'd like to go to the Gospel of Mark, the most intimate of the Gospels, and read to you some very short verses that you will find on the screen and certainly in your own Bibles if you'd like to follow there. We go to Mark 9. We go to the 20th verse of that ninth chapter. And this is what Mark writes in this very short narrative. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into a fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. David Heller is a Boston psychologist who's done some continuing research on children. He's written several books, and one of his books is entitled, Dear God, Children's Letters to God. And I'd like to read one of those to you today. It's the following letter, and it goes like this. Dear God, I have doubts about you sometimes. Sometimes I really believe, like when I was four years old and I hurt my arm and you healed it up fast. But my question is, if you could heal my arm, why don't you stop all the bad things from happening in the world? Like war, like diseases, like famine, like drugs. And there are problems in other people's neighborhoods, too. But I'll try to believe more. Signed, Ian, age 10. Who of us cannot relate to this child's letter to God? Haven't we, 
had those same exact questions or same exact doubts in our minds? In this narrative that we read from the Gospel of Mark, it's usually referred to as an epileptic boy healed. And it appears in three of the synoptic Gospels. And in each Gospel, it immediately follows the transfiguration of our Lord. That mountaintop experience that is witnessed by some of the disciples. And here they come down from the glory of that transfiguration back down into what we would call everyday life. The glory of the mountaintop is inevitably followed by the suffering in the valley. That's the way life is, isn't it? We all have those high moments of inspiration, those mountaintop experiences, but sooner or later, we are all brought back down to earth again. And that's the first thing I want to remind you of today in this story that we all have mountaintop experiences, but inevitably they are followed by experiences down in the valley. Matter of fact, if we're honest with one another, you can't get from one mountaintop to the other mountaintop without going through the valley. We have to go through the valley. Life presents us with those stark contrasts. Sometimes we want to stay right here in the beauty of this worship We don't want to go back out into the ugliness that's outside. Or we would like just to stay here in the peace and the tranquility of this place and not be bothered with the chaos that still awaits us out there, whether it be in our families or whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our work or our schools. Who wants that? Can't I just stay here? We sing a couple songs, have lunch, sing a few more songs. William Barclay, the wonderful biblical theologian, would remind us about these mountaintop experiences, that they are not meant to make us solitary in our nature, but instead they're mountaintop experiences to make us better, to make us better. Being at the top doesn't mean that we're supposed to stay there. Being at the top means we are better prepared to cope with the valley things that come to our lives and the lives of others. Those mountaintop experiences should strengthen us for the things that inevitably lie ahead. When Jesus came down from the mountain, he saw this great crowd. And Jesus asked, what were they discussing? Because this poor fellow, this poor father, had brought his child to the disciples, hoping that they could do something about this epileptic problem. But we are told that they were not able. How many times down through the ages has the church been unable to address the needs of this world? The chaos that exists in this world. How many times do we find ourselves just simply powerless to do anything of any meaning? People are ground down in this life by depression, by guilt, by poverty. But sometimes instead of lifting them up out of their burden, we add to their burden. Sometimes we even blame them for the burden that they have. That's your problem. That's your fault. Why were the disciples so ineffective with this father? Jesus simply tells us it was from a lack of faith. 
But I want to remind you and I want you to commit this to memory that faith, faith means more than just simply believing. Faith means trust. Faith means more than simply believing. Faith means trust. Who do you trust? Who do you trust and why do you trust them? The disciples were ineffective in the face of this human suffering that this father was going through. And I have to admit, I felt the same way before. I've been in hospitals next to a hospital bed, next to people who were dying, wondering how in the world I could do more. What is it that I can do? What is it that I can say? And at the same moment, asking the question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are people here in the midst of pain and suffering and you, the God of love and mercy, are allowing this to happen? That's the second point I want to bring up to you. We do not suffer alone. God is with us. That's not one of those fancy phrases we just use at Christmas. God with us. God is with us far outside of Christmas. God is with us all the time. How many times have I mentioned to you that if we feel alone, who do you think moved? God is with us. God is with us on the mountaintop, and he most assuredly is with us through the valley of our suffering and of our pain. Unfortunately, a lot of us look at suffering and pain as the absence of God, that God is nowhere to be found, that perhaps God is on vacation But God is in the midst of all of our human suffering, all of our human pain. If you could stand and and do a sermon before people who have suffered, perhaps from Holocaust or from hurricanes and tornadoes, people who have lost family and friends in earthquakes or because of famine or because of plane crashes, what would you say to those people? How would you comfort them with your words? How would your words of comfort ever address the starving or the homeless or those who have been victimized by war? What is it that you could possibly say? What is it that I could possibly say? And I want to tell you today there's only one thing that I can think I say. One thing that I think really means rings true and that God suffers with us, that God is involved and he is in the midst of it all, we never ever walk alone. Jesus tells this father, all things are possible to him who believes. All things? All things? That's a pretty bold statement. And yet I think you have to look at it in the light of Jesus Christ. You have to look at his ministry. You have to look at his life to better understand that. Jesus is not advocating using faith as some type of magic. God's not about doing parlor tricks. That's not what God is. That's not who God is. In fact, the very first sermon that I preached on this was Jesus in the wilderness, not succumbing to the temptations of Satan. God could have done any of that, but he's not about doing magic tricks. The God of Jesus Christ doesn't do parlor tricks. And Jesus didn't succumb to the temptation, and he doesn't expect us to succumb to the temptation. Jesus didn't even save himself from the suffering and the pain of the cross. And he doesn't expect us 
to go alone through the suffering and the pain of the cross. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ is the most flesh and blood proof that we have that God indeed cares and God indeed knows. For He Himself has gone through that pain and gone through the suffering. God cares so much that He didn't stay up in heaven on some throne. In fact, He came down to walk among us, fully divine, fully human, and take upon Himself all the suffering, all the pain, all the shame of this world. Amen. Amen. That's somebody who really cares. God is with us in our pain and our suffering, even if you don't feel His presence. He is right there. The Father's reply to Jesus Christ tells us an awful lot about the nature of faith. The Father's faith, your faith, my faith, everyone's faith. This is the third point I want to leave with you. Faith is about trust, like I said up front. Faith is about trust. Who is it that you trust with your lives? Not just your earthly life. Who is it that you trust with your eternal life? Who do you trust and what do you trust in? Because if you trust in yourself, how far is that going to get you? If you trust in someone else, how far is that going to get you? Faith is trust. And that means we need to be having full and complete and absolute trust in Jesus Christ and who He is and in what He is. The man, the father, he showed a a nature of faith just by coming to Jesus Christ. It took faith for him to go to the disciples and then to tell Jesus the same thing. It probably took faith for you to come to worship this morning. If you're honest, it should be. Don't tell me you came for the donuts. There was a certain amount of faith involved with you coming in here. I don't have any illusions that every one of us sitting here is developed into a mature faith. No. Most of us, at least some of the time, have a little faith. And some of us, a lot of the time, we got a little more faith, but none of us have all the faith all the time. We are a mixture of faith and doubt. We continually ask questions, and we continually seek answers. This poor fellow, this father, came to Jesus Christ not because he had perfect faith. Because he was trying to trust in Jesus and he was desperate to try anything to heal his child, including going to Jesus Christ. Remember the story in the New Testament about the woman with the issue of blood and she reaches out just so she can touch the hymn? It takes faith. It takes trust to say, if I can but touch the Him, I will be healed. The Father has the same kind of trust, same kind of faith. Jesus doesn't turn Him away, doesn't chide Him. I think some of us have come to worship today out of that same kind of desperation. We've tried everything else there is. Let's try church for a while. Let's see if there's something here that can really lift me up. That in the midst of my pain and my suffering and my chaos, I've got somebody I can trust in, and that person should be Jesus Christ. How many times have I told you there's a God-shaped void in our lives, and we try to fill it with all sorts of stuff, power, position, money, 
Man, we cram everything we can into that God-shaped void. You know the only thing that fits? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only thing that fits into that void. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. That isn't a bad prayer for all of us to have. We probably need to be saying that each and every day. Sometimes it's easy for us to believe, just like Ian, and sometimes we have a lot of doubt. One of the problems we face is that we usually try to take the easy route. We live in the McDonald's age. Fast food, fast scripture, fast spirituality. Let me get something on the drive through here. Just make it through the next week. We're pushed this way or that way, whatever the fad is of our time. A lot of folks are like that. They're willing to go with the easiest thing of the time. But real, deep, religious faith requires effort, folks. It's work. No one ever used the word easy before faith. There's no such thing as easy faith. There are no shortcuts, and there are no bargain basement closeouts when it comes to faith. I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, those words can mean a couple of things to us. They can mean change my unbelief into belief. Or change my weak belief into a stronger belief. Or perhaps it just means help me with my inadequate belief at times. Either way, it's a prayer that we need to pray all the time. Because we are a strange mixture of faith and unfaith. We are a strange mixture of belief and unbelief. Let us be honest with one another. We say one thing in the safety of this sanctuary, and we say another thing in the daily rounds of our life. We stand up here in this sanctuary, and we confidently say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And then later on in the week, we got some doubts. We've got some doubts. How do we deal with our doubts? That's the last thing I want to bring you. How do we deal with this path of doubt on the spiritual journey. Or for one thing, I don't want you to feel guilty about your doubts. Doubt is not contrary to faith. In fact, I think it's a necessary ingredient of faith because without faith, we're just a bunch of gullible country bumpkins. You hear me? Without faith, we're just a bunch of gullible country bumpkins. I'm sure there are people today that look at us inside this church and probably think about things like, well, look at those simple folks. They're walking around just like they were walking at the county fair, starry-eyed and susceptible to every spiritual con artist there is. Why, they believe in God. They believe Jesus Christ died, rose, he's coming back again. You talk about gullible. You know the words. You've heard them. And that may be true for some believers. But for those who are courageous enough to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and those who are humble enough to get on their knees in front of Him and trust Him with their eternal lives, we still have doubts. We still have doubts. I believe. Help my unbelief. Some of us have been through that battle, haven't we? There's some seated right out here in this congregation. Some of us have come to faith only after a long struggle with doubt. Only asking the questions. 
Harry Emerson Fosdick is a wonderful pastor, used to be a wonderful pastor. He's no longer with us. But he preached a sermon one time and said, the importance of doubting your doubts. The importance of doubting your doubts. And this is what he wrote. He said, the only way to come to true faith is getting to the point where one begins to doubt his or her doubts. The only way you get to true faith is coming to the point to doubt your doubts. We can always ask questions. Matter of fact, we will always ask questions that none of us can answer because we can never be 100% sure of anything. It's impossible. And you can't wait around in this life to do something until you're 100% sure because you'll never get there. You will never have all the facts. You will never have all the figures. You will never remove all the doubts. Nobody escapes faith. Somewhere along the line, you have to step off in faith. What do we say? we got to let go and let God. It's been said that we can't even live this life without a certain degree of faith. You ever thought about that? You couldn't even eat cereal in the morning at breakfast without a certain amount of faith. Have you ever looked in the cereal box and gone, what's down in there? How's that made? Is there poison in there or just oatmeal? Is it just puffed rice or this strange bloated Rice Krispies? You can't cross the street without a certain degree of faith. How many of you have flown in an airplane? Well, you know, when you sit at the end of the runway and they push the throttles forward, all of us got faith that the thing's going to rise and take off, right? You can't live this life without a certain degree of heartfelt faith. It's impossible. You can't be 100% sure about anything. This father came to Jesus and said if there was no faith, there would be no living in this world. And this distraught man says, if you can do anything, talking to Jesus, have pity on us and help us. If you can. You know, sometimes we look at that and think this man is questioning the power of God. If you can. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is taking these words and turning them upside down. He's challenging the Father to be part of the healing process. If you can. If you can. That's what he's saying. He's throwing the issue back on the Father and back on us. He's saying it's not a matter of what I can or cannot do because God can do it all. Most of it is up to you. It's a matter determined by your faith, by your trust. Where do you put your trust and who do you put your trust in? Jesus is saying, I've made the power available. I've come, I've died. I've risen. I'm coming again. Now use the power that I've given to you. I have come to you. Will you come to me and trust me with your lives? Trust me with your lives. Remember, faith is a matter of trust. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? We started this sermon with a letter. So let me give you a response to that letter written by God back to Ian. This is what he says. Dear Ian, dear children, 
all of my children. You have doubts about me, do you? Well, I have doubts about you sometimes. Sometimes I really believe, like when you come to church on Sunday mornings and tell me how much you love me. But my question is, if you really loved me that much, if you really trusted me that much, why can't you stop all the bad in the world? Like war, like diseases, like famine, like drugs. You think you've got problems? You should try being God sometime. Whoop. Nope. You've tried that before. And that didn't work out too good, did it? So I tell you what, I'll try to believe in you more. The only thing I need to ask of you is trust me. Signed, God. Would you bow your heads with me, please?